This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. For several Sundays in July and August, we have been thinking together about the subject of faith. We have considered faith that saves, faith that does not save, faith that withstands, faith that faces trouble. And then we looked at some matters which Jesus considered to be top priority for us all. Certainly faith is one of those. There are some lines of what I call evidence which point us to the truth of God's being and his working in our lives. While there are many of these directional signs along our way, I want us today to think of only three of them. The first evidence which points us to a living, active God is the universe. When the three Americans orbited the moon, they saw the earth from a new perspective. As they tried to find a way to convey their feelings, they decided to read the biblical account of creation. Many years before them, the psalmist had had similar feelings as he wrote in the 19th Psalm. You can read that in Psalm 19, the first six verses. If indeed God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, it is reasonable to assume that we can see reflections of the creator in his creation. Parents of small children can look at a page of work which each child may have made, such as a Mother's Day card, and they know which of the children made which. The child's personality is reflected there. The little boy who loves airplanes will no doubt draw some airplanes on the card, which he makes for his mother. A little girl who has a favorite dog or a cat might draw that on mother's card. Can we look at the universe and see God reflected there? Perhaps a more basic question is this. Is there an intelligent purpose behind the universe, or did it all just happen? Some people look at the universe and they see form, order, and beauty all around. Others look out from their life's windows and they see only confusion, purposelessness, and chaos. So you see, we cannot form a positive conclusion based only on what we see in the universe. There must be added the dimension of how we see it with our minds. Once again, we have the, therefore a combination of two factors, science and religion. Science seeks to answer the when and the how questions about the universe. Religion, on the other hand, deals with the who and the why. Elton Trueblood gives us an analogy of a man driving a nail into a piece of wood with a hammer. The nail goes into the wood because the hammer hits it. The hammer moves because it is moved by the muscle of a person's arm. The arm muscles move because they are directed by the person's brain, telling him to swing the hammer. But in order to understand the whole picture, we have to back up beyond these cause and effect situations. This whole process takes place because a man has a reason for driving a nail into a board. 
God has been called the prime mover because he is the cause back of all the preliminary things that take place. There has to be a beginning point, and that point is God. We sing in one of our hymns, This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. But before we leave this matter of finding God through nature, let's look at the picture from the negative side for just a moment. Let's just suppose that there were no God behind it at all. In that case, we would have to believe that the universe just happened. That assumption would require also a great act of faith, blind faith. Dr. George Buttrick says, we must live as if, as if the universe is nonsense and just happened, or as if it is our Father's house. Given these two choices, and there are only two that we are really given, I prefer to live as if it is my Father's house. But there's a second line of evidence which I think supports our faith. That is not only nature, but also history. The main idea behind the Bible is that God is one who works through the course of history, showing himself through the lives of individuals. The Bible writers were not deep philosophers. They were witnesses to what God had done in history and in their own lives. The Bible is not a book which gives a long list of statements about who God is. It is a continuing group of testimonies to the way in which God has worked in history. I've already mentioned this morning that the psalmist testified to the reality of God through nature in Psalm 19. But over and over again, the Bible also testifies to the reality of God as he works in many people's lives. Examples of this, uh, the Exodus, going out of Egypt from bondage to the promised land, the period of the judges, the prophets of the Old Testament, the period of the exile when Jerusalem fell and the inhabitants were carried away to Babylon or scattered everywhere, uh, the coming of Jesus, the crucifixion and the resurrection, then the organization and the continuance of the church, the believers. Now, some skeptics may ask the question, but can we really believe that the things mentioned in the Bible actually happened? Several years ago, a man offered to pay a certain amount of money to any believer who could prove to him that such a person as Jesus ever lived. The key words, of course, are prove to him. This means that this man would have to rule on the evidence which was presented. And so he knew he was safe since he had already decided that no amount of evidence was going to be enough to convince him that Jesus ever lived. The overall accuracy of the Bible has been proved again and again from discoveries from the past. Yet there's still a sense in which faith enters into the picture. Let me ask you, can you prove to me that there ever was such a man who lived named Julius Caesar? How about Christopher Columbus? Was there ever a man on the face of this earth named George Washington? 
Suppose we read someone's writings who is a truly reliable witness who said that one of these persons really was alive at one time. But let's imagine also that you are not easily convinced. How would you go about proving that a man ever lived whose name was John F. Kennedy? Oh yes, some of us may have seen this man with our own eyes. But if we were to try to prove this to a younger person who was not easily convinced, there would still have to be an element of faith involved. Faith in the one telling that story about the man named John Fitzgerald Kennedy. What I'm trying to say is that those who look at history with at least a partially open mind will have to come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ did come to earth as the very Son of God. Not only in the long ago did He come, but also in the here and now. The continuing impact of the life of Jesus testifies to the hand of God in human history. But before we conclude this morning, I want us to look at yet a third line of evidence which I believe bears witness to the reality of our faith. And this is the evidence of human beings. The Bible teaches that God made man in his own image. If this be true, and it is, then we can reasonably assume that we can see something of God not only in the universe and in history, but also in human beings. There's this matter of right and wrong in life. Some people do right, others go wrong. There are those people who look about and say, there's so much evil in the world. Can there be a God behind it all? Perhaps you know the name of C.S. Lewis. When Lewis was an atheist, he stormed out against God, the God he didn't believe in, because he was so offended by what he saw in human society, man's injustice to man. So Lewis argued that a loving God could not have made and presided over such a rotten world. And then Lewis began to think and to wonder just what it was that made him have an idea about love and justice. Some years after he became a Christian, C.S. Lewis wrote, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just or unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? And so that line of argument began to crack the foundation of the unbelief of C.S. Lewis. The most remarkable explanation was that there must be somewhere a God of justice in order for there to be injustice in the world. When we look at human beings, we can see several facts that lead us to underscore our belief in the divine God. First, millions of people throughout human history have testified to a personal encounter with God. Second, the character of many of the reporters is completely trustworthy in other areas. Therefore, it must be the same in this area of faith. Third, 
There are many strong areas of argument running throughout all these testimonies. What happened to one has happened to many more. And fourth, in so many cases, there have been lasting changes made in the lives of those who are believers in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Leslie Weatherhead shares with us a testimony which was given by a scientist whom he heard giving a lecture at a large university. Here's what the scientist said. My mother and father were deeply religious. My brother and I had no time for religion. We thought that religion was all right for old people, but we were scientists, and we thought we had found our way through by what we were pleased to call scientific methods. Then my brother was killed. My father and mother had resources, and with their resources, they could meet that shattering loss. But I had no one. I had no resources at all. So one night, brokenhearted, with all my proud science and ruined uselessness at my feet, I knelt down. I did not know how to pray. I had always scorned prayer. But I put out my hand, and I found in a symbolic way that that hand was grasped. I knew that someone was coming to my help and someone I knew it was Christ. This morning we have looked at only three of the lines of evidence which bear witness to the reality of God, the universe, history, and human beings. There's some people who try to adopt a neutral position on the subject of God. The agnostic position is somewhat attractive to some people because it seems to be so scientific. The agnostic says, I don't know whether or not God is real. I'm waiting until all the evidence comes in to prove whether or not God is real. Actually, this position is kind of a cop-out, an evasion of responsible thinking because no one discovers whether God is real or not by sitting back and waiting for God to be proved to him. This would be like a young man who says that someday he may fall in love, but he's not sure that there's any such thing as love. And so until he finds out for sure, he's just going to sit back and observe a real good case of love from somebody else toward him. Then he says he'll make his decision, and only then will he begin to get involved in feelings of love. Those who say that seeing is believing may never see some of life's greatest realities or deepest joys. These come through the eyes of faith, of commitment. Yes, there is an element of risk involved, but oh, how risky, how devastating is the other way of non-involvement. And so we come today to the only conclusion that we can reach as Christians, that of knowing the certainty of our faith through a commitment to a person, Jesus Christ. We know that there is a God and that He has revealed Himself in His Son, Jesus. And we know that His Son, Jesus, is a living being not just 2,000 or so years ago, but also right now. 
We sing it at Easter time a lot of, lot of times. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. We're going to sing that song in just a moment. But before we do, let's join together in a prayer. Lord, help us, we pray, not to sit back and to try to be so intellectual that we lose the heart of truth and know that you are real and you have revealed yourself through Jesus, your son. Father, help us not to hide behind so-called intellectual ideas when you're speaking to our heart as well as to our mind. Give us, O oh God, the ability to love you as you first loved us in giving us Jesus, in whose wonderful name we pray. Amen.